This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Travis Bronner. Today, we are studying through the Tuesday of the Holy Week, uh, titled Confrontation and Warning. Now, how many of you generally are non-confrontational? Okay, me too. How about confrontational? Raise your hand. Yeah, they're very excited about declaring that they are confrontational. (laughs) How many of you are in a relationship where you're both confrontational? Okay, that can get a little fiery sometimes, can it? But the truth is, as we study confrontation and warning today and the compassion of Christ, that as followers of Jesus, there are some some things which we must confront. So non-confrontational people, it's important to know that, that we have to be confrontational sometimes. Confrontational people... We're also going to talk about this, that it's important that we're careful about how we confront, when we confront, the tone with which we confront. So this message is for everyone. And um, we're working through this Passion Week, and two weeks ago, Adam covered the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, talking about crowds um, and uh, the, the excitement of the crowd and how the crowd quickly turned. And then last week, Ted talked about the clearing of the temple and this confrontation that, that Christ did, which was really the only example we have in Scripture where it became a physical and escalated confrontation. Uh, otherwise, the rest of his ministry uh, was not with that uh, same physical escalation. And then today we're talking about uh, confrontation and warning as Jesus went back into the city after he had cleared the temple the night before. So he goes in, he clears the temple of the money changers for the unrighteousness that was taking place there, and of course causes a great stir, really disrupts things. And then he comes back the next morning, uh, the next day on Tuesday. And so what's happening is, uh, and they confronted him as he cleared the temple, the religious leaders of the time did not appreciate this. They didn't appreciate what he was doing. First of all, he comes in and all the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. And they were the ones that were supposed to be the leaders that were leading their people. And here comes Jesus into town. They didn't like that. And they were the ones that had the most power, the most money, the best position. Life was good for them. And so what's happening here is Jesus was disrupting their way of life. He was really stirring things up. He was turning things upside down. Things were going well for them. Almost like spring of 2020, right? Things were going well. Work was good. The family was good. Everybody was healthy. Things were well. And then here we go. The whole world gets turned upside down. That's what the, the Pharisees, these, the scribes, the, the chief priests, the religious leaders were experiencing here. Jesus was disrupting their way of life. This was a day of teaching and exhorting, encouraging and warning, many examples throughout, and we can read through these and get a lot of lessons through the confrontation and through the warning, but there's one main lesson that we want to learn today, and that that is observing and experiencing the passion of Christ through his confronting. Now, Jesus returns into town. He had just cleared the temple. Again, the next morning, he's coming back into town, and he goes back to the temple, And he's going to be teaching. And imagine the reception at this point. You see, the day before, well, two days before, everybody's screaming, Hosanna. Then the next day, Jesus comes in and he starts turning over tables, right? And chasing people out for the things that they're doing in the temple. I'm guessing part of that crowd went like this. Hmm, this does not seem right. 
Okay, now he comes back into town, and I'm sure even more people are kind of standing back to watch to see what's going to happen. And so, so now we have this audience of people watching as the religious leaders are really going to start laying into him. They're going to start challenging him. They're going to start questioning him. And we're going to dive into the first experience that he has here with the confrontation with the religious leaders. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21, or your Bible app, turn there. Um, If not, we'll have it up here on the screens for you. We're going to pick up in verse 23. It says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? To paraphrase, who do you think you are? We kind of got a good thing going here. And you're really stirring things up. Who do, you, who do you think you are? Jesus answered them. And he didn't just answer with the question that they were looking for, answer the question they were looking for. He said, I will, I will also ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then also I will tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves. So you see what happened is, they didn't just answer his question. They're like, hold on just a minute. They're going to talk about it amongst themselves. Figure it out what it is that they're going to say. And when they say, uh, they discussed it amongst themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? Because he knew that they didn't believe that the, that the baptism of John was from heaven. But if we say from man, look at these words, we are afraid of the crowd. Remember the crowd that Adam talked about a couple of weeks ago? The religious leaders were afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. They believed rightly. So they answered Jesus. Great answer, right? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. What kind of an answer is that? Now, I, I am fully in favor. If you don't know the answer to a question answering, I don't know. As a matter of fact, when someone comes to me with a question about something from Scripture or for something theological or about something I believe or even something not theological, if I don't know the answer, yes, answer, I don't know. And, and I want to try to go find out. But why did they say we don't know? Not because they didn't know what they believe, but because they were afraid of what the crowds would do and say to them for saying what they believe. Is that ever us? where we're concerned about the crowd, we're afraid of the crowd and don't want to say what we truly believe because of the crowd. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, okay. He he understood what this confrontation was. They weren't just seeking information. They were trying to, to trap him or to get him to say something that they wanted him to say. He said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, I'm not going to play this game, right? And so he, he challenged their intellect, he challenged their position, their authority, and in doing this, he challenged their integrity, he called out their integrity. And there is a lesson in here about staying above reproach, about having integrity, staying above reproach, because that's a very good feeling, isn't it? Doing the right thing and staying above reproach, which they had not done. Like tax day is coming up, Right? And some of you prepare your taxes and you send them in and you're excited, hoping the IRS says you're being audited. You're like, bring it on. Let's do this. Because you go through every little detail and you're ready. And you're the same people that went to test day like, I am so excited to show the teacher how much I know. (laughs) Right? The same personality. Right? But there's there's freedom in that. There's a good, there's, it's, it's very liberating to not be under the pressure 
of unrighteousness, right, and, and poor integrity. You see, these religious leaders, when they, when they retreated and they're talking amongst themselves, they were figuring out what they needed to say. They were figuring out lies to cover up lies. They were figuring out stories to tell to cover up deception, which is what takes the place in the mind of someone who is caught in sin and unrighteousness and called out in it, right? If you're not telling lies, you don't have to tell lies to cover up lies when confronted. If you're, if you're not caught up in unrighteousness, you don't, you don't have to, to tell stories to make excuses for unrighteousness, and that's where they were. Their meeting was to discuss how to answer, and there is freedom in staying above reproach. These religious leaders were wrong. They knew it, and they were unrepentant. Now, what follows after that first confrontation is many confrontations, many lessons that Jesus delivers by, by pointing out examples and different things that took place, different arguments, different questions that were asked. And uh, this was a very busy day in the Holy Week. And we can't cover all of them, but I want to just kind of give you an overview of a few to give you some idea of how Jesus was teaching lessons uh, to the people he was confronting and to those around him. One was uh, the rejected cornerstone in Mark 12, verses 1 through 12. And this was a parable. Jesus often taught in parables or stories. And uh, this was a parable of the tenants of a vineyard that the master sent his servant to collect what he was due from the tenants. And they killed the servant. So he sends another servant, and they kill that servant, and it happens over and over until he sends his beloved son. Surely they won't kill him, but they do, hoping to obtain his heir to the vineyard. And this one enraged the religious leaders because they knew that Jesus was calling them out. He knew, they knew that he was speaking about them. He was the son, he was the cornerstone, and then he referenced scripture that he was the cornerstone that was being rejected so you can see then that they're starting to really get escalated because he's really calling them out now, even using scripture to call them out. Paying taxes to Caesar, this is a common one that, that we read and that we hear about and that we study, uh, where they tried to, to double-cross him to ask him a trick question. And they said, is it, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Yes, it's lawful, right? Within the community, they're supposed to pay taxes to the government. But they're saying, is it lawful uh, for us as religious Jews to pay taxes to Caesar? To which you probably know what he said. He said, give me the coin with which you pay taxes. And they give him a denarius. And it, and it has, and he said, Who, who's, whose inscription, whose likeness is on this coin? And they say, it's Caesar's. He said, so it's Caesar's to begin with. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't trap him. And he's giving wise answers throughout these, these questions they keep coming with. And he gives warnings in showing how, how the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests are behaving in their religion. Very proud, the way they dress, the way they display their religion. And so he warns uh, through this example about prideful people giving confrontations and warnings. And then the widow's offering, we read about, how he's sitting across from the treasury where the offerings were given. And uh, many rich people came in, and proud people, giving large sums of money, making it seen to everybody, to which Jesus says they're giving out of, out of abundance and out of pride. But then this widow comes and gives two small copper coins, the equivalent of a penny. And he says she gave so much more than them because she has nothing, and she gave everything that she has, calling out good examples um, making lessons out of the things that he was observing, that they were seeing here in this holy city. And then, after all of these questions and challenges and things that took place, 
There was one, a scribe, one of the religious leaders who approached him very differently. And we'll read about this in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, going through 34. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, Jesus and the religious leaders. And seeing that he answered them well, first of all, notice what he noticed. Jesus was answering them well. In the other accounts that we read about, it's they were, they were enraged by what he was doing. They were enraged by what he was saying. Or they looked to trap him. He was see, he, seeing that he, that he answered them well. He, they, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? He didn't ask him a, a trick question, a double-sided question, something, something to, to try to catch him. He asked him a legitimate question because, you see, he, he noticed that he was answering well. And so the attitude you can get from this scribe is he sees that Jesus is legit. And he says, I want to ask a question that, that is a legit question to see if he is who we think he is. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, look at these words. You are right, teacher. The morning he says, you are right. He acknowledges that Jesus is right. He didn't get mad. He didn't ask him another question. He acknowledges that he is right. And he uses the word teacher or rabbi, which is a term of respect. He says, you are right. You see how this is very different from the confrontation that we'd seen so far. And then he goes on. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. And look at this. He goes on. He says, as much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He continues quoting scripture where Jesus left off. Jesus didn't say that, but then he says that back to Jesus. You see this interaction that's taking place now? He asks Jesus a question with an open heart, with kindness. Jesus answers him, and these two men that know Scripture then start quoting Scripture back and forth with one another. So you can imagine the scene here. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, how about these words? You are not far from the kingdom of God. We talk often about wanting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How about these words? As we're, as we're living out our faith, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love this interaction with this scribe, this man who was one of them, who approached Jesus with an open heart, asked a legitimate question, gets an answer, quotes scripture back, and here they are, just like this with one another. Like, I imagine if this was in modern times, they might, like, slap hands and give a bro hug afterwards, right? It's a good talk, man. That's, that's good. That's, that's the attitude that this one confronted Jesus with, inquisitive, not challenging, and Jesus was open to him. He was indignant towards these other leaders, and this scribe was one of them. But this religious leader saw that Jesus was right, he acknowledged it, and his heart was ready to repent. Very different from the challenges that Jesus had received from these other religious leaders. So let's talk about confrontation now. And when we talk about confrontation, we're going to say that confrontation is like a chainsaw. Confrontation is like a chainsaw. No, I'm not going to start it. Don't worry. (laughs) Because I fear I will not be able to start it. (laughs) Confrontation is like a chainsaw. 
when used carefully and properly with skill and precision, can accomplish great things. It can really get things done, right? But when used carelessly and with reckless abandon, abandon can cause harm to the one using it, to, to the people around the one using it, and, and to the property and the structures within striking distance of what the one using it is using it on. Confrontation is like that, right? So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Maybe we come up on this scene on the road. You've seen this too many times in the Ozarks after a storm, and you're on your way to work, and you're late to work. Like, this is going to help. And you're thinking, this is what's needed for this problem. Confrontation is like a chainsaw. And sometimes we don't like to use the loud, powerful, uh, can-cause-a-lot-of-damage tool that confrontation can be. But you see, when we see a problem that requires confrontation, sometimes we say, I, I, don't, I don't want to start that thing up. It's too loud. It's, it's heavy. It's hard to use. And, and we see this picture and we say, you know, I'm just going to avoid the really hard work that may be involved with using that chainsaw. This thing's lighter. Um, it, it's not going to hurt really me or anyone else most likely. I'm just going to trim around the edges of this problem just so I can kind of get around, get where I need to go to, Right? And what can happen? I can be there days, weeks, months, trying to clean that up. And all the husbands are like, you see, I need a chainsaw. This is why I need a chainsaw. And that happens. If we, if we do this in relationships, in our marriage, in our family, with our kids, in the workplace, in our organizations, in our businesses, if we say, this is a mess, but I really don't want to run that chainsaw through this. I'm just going to kind of dance around it, just deal with it, just get around it for now. What happens? It's there for days, weeks, months, years, and it can linger. Confrontation is like a chainsaw. When used properly and carefully, can accomplish great things, but when used improperly, can be very damaging. And when used carelessly, can be very damaging. Um, also, when used properly, can be very productive. So some of you see that first picture and you go like, hey, <laughs> we're heated for the winter, right? You can, you can make a big pile of, of firewood out of that. Not only can it solve a problem, but the other side of it, you can have something that's productive and, and a resource, right? But then, uh, again, when used improperly, can cause destruction, right? I won't ask who's been there, <laughs> But if you don't use that chainsaw properly on this tree that you're trying to get rid of, it can end up laying across your house, or even worse, your neighbor's house. And this is what confrontation is like. It can solve problems, can be, produce good things, or it can be uh, very damaging. And so understanding that, that confrontation is like a chainsaw, this is the guy that none of us want to be. Okay? Right? Reckless abandon. You don't want to be the one that walks in the room and everybody goes, ugh. He's wielding that chainsaw. She's revving it up again. That's where we have to be careful. Confrontation is like a chainsaw. And how do you use that chainsaw? You see, I can be right, but highly unrighteous. And that's what use of a chainsaw is like. So when I, when I pull up to an intersection, and let's say the light turns green and I can go, it's my turn. It's right for me to go. But I stop and I look both ways still. Because I see that in the cross traffic, someone's coming, they don't see that they have a red light. And they're going to barrel through that intersection. 
would, it, would I be right to pull on out in the intersection and go? Well, I mean, you know, I see that I have a green light. It's my turn. I'm right to go. Would I be righteous in pulling right out in front of that person, causing major disaster? I could be right and highly unrighteous at the same time. Proper use of confrontation is important. And so what are some ways uh, that it is properly to use, proper to use confrontation? Well, number one, time, place, and circumstances matter. It's not always the time for confrontation. Sometimes it is the time for, for confrontation. Place, it's not always the place. Is this the right setting for confrontation? Yes or no? And the circumstances. There may be someone that, that needs confronting, and maybe they are not fertile soil for confrontation and repentance at the time. Maybe it's not the right circumstances for confrontation. Tone matters. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And later on in verse 4, it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Your tone matters. I imagine the tone. You can't hear the speaking tone, but you can hear the language tone in that confrontation with the scribe. Right? The tone in his words. The tone, tone matters of the, confront, of the confrontation. Soft, turning away wrath, or gentle, a tree of life, or stirring up anger. Tone matters. The audience matters. The people around. You see, Jesus was confronting these religious leaders, and I'm pretty sure most of the time, he knew that he wasn't going to lead them to repentance from their unrighteousness. But it was highly important that he considered the audience around him. If those that were following him saw that he just caved uh, to these leaders or that he went along with the unrighteousness or their sinfulness, how damaging would that have been to the audience, the people around him? And for me, I think about our kids and our, our family a lot in this situation, that they're listening, right? And, um, and there may be coworkers. There may be other family members or other settings where, for you, the audience really matters. People are watching and listening. And righteous use of confrontation requires consideration of the audience. Now, what does that look like to confront properly, to use the chainsaw, so to speak, in a good way, with care and precision? I believe there are two different ways that we can confront. That's directly and indirectly. And so we'll talk about direct confrontation and indirect confrontation. And we see Jesus use both of these methods, right? First, direct confrontation. This means going straight to the source of sin, unrighteousness, false belief, whatever you hear or see happening, going right to the source. And Jesus did this. We have examples, many examples from that Passion Week Tuesday where he's going direct to the source of the unrighteousness that he's confronting. And notice... In these that I'm going to read to you, and also in many others, Jesus confronts directly with Scripture as a source. That's important to, to recognize. Mark 12.10, in that confrontation, he said, Have you not read this Scripture? To the scribe regarding the greatest commandment, the good scribe, he quoted Deuteronomy 6. After clearing the temple and healing the six, the people again were proclaiming, Hosanna. And the religious leaders said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And his reply to them was, have you never read Matthew 20, 21, 42? In that confrontation, he said, have you never read in the scriptures? And then kind of this, this big mic drop moment after they're trying to trap him again, asking him about resurrection, which he answered correctly, but 
But after he answered correctly, he said, Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He declared scripture when confronting unrighteousness directly to people. I think that's important for us to understand because if we're going to confront something or someone directly, it's important that we go in the name of Jesus, in the truth of Scripture. Very important for us to understand as well that as we take Scripture to someone in confrontation, that we use it in context and in proper application. And and the reason that's important, to give you an example, don't you hate it when someone misquotes you? When someone says, he said this, she said this, and it can be wrong in two ways. Number one, she said this, but twists it a little bit so that they can make the point that they want to make. Or he said this, but not in context. Yes, he said that, but you know what he was talking about? In different contexts. The media are fantastic at that, aren't they? Right? Taking things out of context, twisting words. And, and when we're confronting someone with Scripture, in the name of Christ, we're representing Christ. So when we represent Christ in confronting someone, we don't want to misquote him. And we don't want to quote him wrong altogether, out of context or wrong words. Now, this is a great opportunity. If you see an unrighteousness, a sin that you want to confront, what a great opportunity for you to dive in, to edify yourself in the scriptures that you're confronting and learn about it. Great opportunity. You represent Christ in your confrontation, and sometimes he directly confronted sin and unrighteousness. Direct confrontation in that way is sometimes necessary, but there's also indirect confrontation. Indirect confrontation, meaning not going straight to the source, to the person uh, that is committing the sin, the unrighteousness, uh, but in in an indirect way. And we can still indirectly confront hypocrisy, heresy, unrighteousness, sinfulness, so many different things where we don't have to go right to the source. You see, Jesus, for example, addressed false teachings by the Pharisees by warning his disciples, his people, watch out for what those people are saying. Have you ever said that to your kids or for someone else that's going to go be somewhere? Hey, you're going to hear some things here, and I just want you to know, just take what you hear with a grain of salt, right? We can address uh, unrighteousness. You're going to see some things. You need to understand this is not right in warning and in, in telling about good examples. We can confront heresy by calling out truth according to Scripture. One of the things that I love to do uh, as a family, as we're watching TV, watching a movie, watching a, even a, a, a game and an after-game after interview. Those are some of my favorite after-game interviews. I'm like, you know, the game's over. I'm like, okay, everybody listen, right? And they say something. And I, I might go, ooh, wait, pause. And, and, and we'll say, and the kids know it's kind of like, ugh. Like, what did he just say? And they'll say, he said this. Well, is that right? Is that right? Is that what we believe? No. What do we believe? This is what we believe. Why do we believe this? Because Scripture says this. I, I can't talk to the person that just said that on TV. I am confronting false belief indirectly. We can confront unrighteousness indirectly. Did y'all see how he handled that? Where we just were, whatever situation. Or they come home, tell a story. So and so did this at school. Well, really? Well, how do you think that went? You know. Confronting unrighteousness indirectly. You don't have to go right to the source. Sometimes it's necessary to go right to the source. How someone handled a situation, and we have so many current events about which we can confront sin, unrighteousness, false beliefs, 
regarding sexuality, abortion, human rights, racism. The list goes on. Leave the TV on for a while, and you'll be given plenty of opportunity to confront unrighteousness, false beliefs, and so many different things indirectly. Jesus used indirect confrontation by calling attention to good examples. The, the widow that gave the offering, he pointed to her. He said, he, he said her sacrifice matters because it's of the heart. She gave everything, calling out a good example. Another place in Scripture, Jesus called out the centurion that told him, that the Roman soldier that said, said, Jesus, if you just say the words, then my sick servant can be healed. And, and Jesus called out unfaithfulness, those that he wasn't talking directly to, he said, this man has more faith than anyone else in the land. By anyone else in the land, he meant the religious Jews, the religious leaders, all of God's people. How offensive for a Jew among them to say, he has more faith than anyone else. Calling out good examples. We do that with our kids too. Hey, have you seen how so-and-so handles herself? Have you seen how so-and-so goes about his business? I just want you to know this is a good example. And we can confront unrighteousness by pointing out good examples and encouraging good examples. One of the problems uh, that's getting worse with time, I believe, um, in an age of uh, relativism, which kind of means that what's true for you is not true for me, what's right for you is not right for me, is that we often hear this phrase, you shouldn't judge people. You shouldn't judge people, right? And on the surface, it seems, hey, maybe I shouldn't judge people. But you need to know this is a concept that's not based in Scripture. We judge things every day. For instance, if I'm going to make a sandwich and I encounter bread that looks like this, I'm probably not going to use that bread to make my sandwich, right? If I'm on vacation somewhere or in a large city for whatever reason and I see that there may be a shortcut to get on the other side of town, probably not going to go down that alley, right? I'm judging that alley, right? If I see a picture that uh, looks kind of neat, but it just probably not true, right? I mean, 500 miles an hour at 30,000 feet, I'm guessing his wrist is not strong enough to hold that selfie stick, okay? <laughs> we judge things all the time. Is it, is it good? Is it bad? Is it safe? Is it not? Is it true? Is it false? In the same way, we judge the words and actions of people all day, as we should. Is what they're doing and what they're saying good or not? Is what's happening safe or not? Is what they're saying true or not? See, Jesus said in John seven twenty four, he said, judge with right judgment. This is when he was being called out again by the religious leaders for healing on a Sunday, working on the Sabbath, which they did as well when they would do circumcisions on Sunday, or on the, on the Sabbath, we do Sabbath on Sunday, when, when they were working on the, uh, the Sabbath, but they were calling him out. And he said, judge with right judgment. They're, they're not judging me because I'm healing on the Sabbath. They're judging because they don't want me healing, basically. Judge with right judgment. And we have to be careful also because, you know, again, in context and application, judge not, right? Because those words literally Jesus said, judge not. In context, he said, judge not lest ye be judged. He goes on to say, first get the plank out of your own eye before being concerned about the the speck in someone else's eye. So in other words, you're going to be judged with the same measure. Stay above reproach yourself and then judge unrighteousness in others. 
we got to be careful not getting confused with what Scripture also calls final judgment. We're not talking about God judging at the end of time, final judgment. We're talking about casting judgment. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this safe? Is this not? You, you, uh, you can judge uh, without harshly criticizing and condemning, which I believe this is the phrase that's more appropriate. Someone, someone says you shouldn't judge people. No, you shouldn't, you shouldn't harshly criticize and condemn people, right? Because we're carrying a chainsaw, and what are you going to do with it? Because this can come across pretty harsh and pretty condemning. Condemning means to declare guilty and to say this needs to be punished. That we're not to do. We are to judge. We are to understand what's right and what's wrong. So in your confrontation, your chainsaw, are you going to be productive, cleaning up the mess, making some firewood, making sure no one gets hurt? Is someone going to lose an arm? <laughs> is, it, is a house going to get smashed? You see, we tend to confront things about which we're passionate as well. Jesus confronted things that he was passionate about. And we tend to, com- to, to confront things maybe like our constitutional rights or our position at work or in some organization, our income, taxes, keeping our income. And remember that Jesus confronted those who were concerned about preserving their way of life. These were all things that were way of life, our income, our position. So the question then is, do you spend more time and effort confronting things that threaten your way of life or things that threaten truth and righteousness. We see the passion of Christ coming through his confrontation on that Passion Tuesday. Are we more concerned about our way of life or about oppression of the powerless, about unrighteousness, hypocrisy, greed, pride, false teachings, as Jesus was? And we may be concerned as we confront directly or indirectly what the backlash might be in person, at work, online. Uh, remember the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders were concerned about what the crowds would think. And so we may be caught up in that. And I think Charles Stanley said it well when he said, obey God and leave the consequences to him. I'm more concerned about defending truth and righteousness than what the crowd might think. As a follower of Jesus, uh, may we stand for truth. May we confront false teachings. May we confront unrighteousness directly or indirectly and in such a way that is with precision and care, and not so that we or others all around us uh, become hurt and that much destruction may take place. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful for this gathering this morning, and we pray that uh, your word would be heard, Lord, and that would be applied. We thank you for uh, your examples in Scripture, Lord, of confrontation and how Uh, We can use the right tone, the right time and place and circumstances, Lord, uh, acknowledging our audience, knowing that truth can be heard, that we can confront the schemes of the devil as he works them throughout our life, throughout our day, in all circumstances. We we pray that uh, we would be passionate about which you are passionate and that we would therefore confront the things that you are passionate about. We love you. We praise you. It is in Christ's name that everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.